It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. There's this whole push right now of, oh gosh, the... The violence in Kenosha and Portland is really going to swing some of these voters back to the Republican Party. Well, maybe, but I don't know when those people are voting. They might already have voted, and who knows what's going to matter two weeks from now. This is Sarah and Beth. You're listening to Pantsuit Politics, the home of grace-filled political conversations. Thank you all for joining us for another episode of Pantsy Politics. We have a lot to talk about today, and we will get through all of the news that unfolded over the weekend in our first segment. We're going to spend the main segment on key Senate races to watch and just the general state of the down-ballot Senate races. On Patreon, for our nightly nuance folks, I am going to be going through some key congressional races in the House. So you'll get the Senate here, the House over on Patreon, and we'll continue to talk about down ballot races. But we want to make sure that not all of the oxygen is absorbed by the presidential race, because there is a lot of important stuff on the ballot this year. And we will end as we always do with what's going on outside of politics for us. Before we get started, we wanted to mention, of course, our friends and neighbors and fellow citizens on the coast of Texas and Louisiana, still suffering the aftermath of Hurricane Laura. There are still hundreds of thousands of people without power. I read in the news this morning that many people are dying from carbon monoxide poisoning because they're trying to put the generators in their homes and they're supposed to be outside. So it's just, you know, it creates all these complexities and risks. And if you want to help, we put a link in the show notes for how to donate time, food, money to help the people on the coast. The news cycle was absorbed over the weekend with Portland, Oregon, and this parade of Trump supporters coming into town some kind of clash between demonstrators and counter-demonstrators that resulted in the death of a man. We don't know much at all about that death. And there are lots of things coming out, like slowly, people who have watched a video many times trying to identify where the shot came from. 
some information as we're sitting down to record on Monday morning that the person who is suspected of being the shooter identifies himself as part of Antifa, an anti-fascist. Some information that the victim was part of a far-right group. So we know that there was a political clash that resulted in the death of a person in Portland, as we had a death of two people from political clashes in Kenosha, Wisconsin, last week. In discussion about what to do about all of this, we have mayors and governors saying to the president, please don't come here. That won't be helpful. The president insisting on making a trip to Kenosha anyway. It is a mess right now. And I don't really know, Sarah, how to observe this with an eye toward really solid factual reporting and how much that even matters versus just understanding the big picture of what's going on in the United States as escalating political tension that is resulting in violence. Well, there's a couple things that really bother me about this. First, the presence of the caravan itself. To me, a caravan is an escalation. When you have peaceful protesters on the ground, or let's just assume even that you do not believe these protesters to be peaceful, that you believe these protesters to be a threat. These are still protesters on the ground, just as walkers, as human beings. So to me, to organize a caravan of vehicles, since vehicles themselves can be weapons, as we saw in Charlottesville, that is an escalation. And that escalation is a clear reflection of the escalation in the president's rhetoric. You know, you have the mayor of Portland saying, we don't see violence like this until you call for it. We don't see this escalation. There's no condemnation of violence coming from the president like there is from Joe Biden. It's blame. It's tweeting, law and order, all caps. It's threats. I'm going to it's not how can I help this American city? It's it's your fault. And I will threaten you with further action if you don't do what I want you to do. I'm going to show up with federal troops, whether you want me there or not. Like it's just this intensity of escalation that comes from him and you see it on the the far right militias. And, you know, to me, it's this thing I've been thinking about that really bothers me post-convention, this idea of like, oh, well, will his personality outweigh his policies? We really need to counter argument to his personality because the policies are what people really love. No, the personality is the policy. His personality is the policy, and nowhere is that more clear than this scenario. His bullying, escalating, violent tendencies, you saw it in 2016 with his rallies. Well, now he's president, and so the stakes are higher. It's not just encouraging his supporters to rough up people in his rallies. Oh, well, I'll pay your lawyer bills. Or in my day, they got taken out on a stretcher. Now he's the president of the United States. And we're in the middle of a pandemic and a racial reckoning. And so the stakes when somebody's policy is to stoke violence, to stoke emotion, is what we're seeing happen in Portland. Our people are losing their lives. American citizens are losing their lives. And it falls squarely at his feet, in my opinion. I'm interested to see Joe Biden address the nation about this. I'm interested to see him do that less from the perspective that you just shared, which I agree with but more just from the stature that he has by virtue of having been our vice president, having been in the United States Congress for so long. I want him to just do the thing that a leader does in this situation and Mm -hmm. tell us what America needs to hear right now. We so badly need that. And I don't want to wait for the election to get it from someone because I do think it matters what is said from people of stature in this time. So many women, Sarah and I have texted and talked about this a lot, so many women who are Republican-leaning or have historically been Republican-leaning, who are white, who live in the suburbs, this portrait of the voter that gets talked about ad nauseum in every election, so many of those women absolutely love Atlanta Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms because of her ability to step up to a microphone and say, yes, indeed, there is a problem here. The problem needs to be addressed, but also... We will not burn our house down trying to save it. Go home, 
be careful, stop the violence. We're going to keep working for positive change. Let's do it. And I think that's what we need to hear from Joe Biden. And I think Joe Biden is capable of delivering it, perhaps not as effectively as Mayor Bottoms, because she has a gift for that, right? And Michelle Obama has a gift for that kind of speech. I think Kamala Harris could do that. But I think Joe Biden is really capable of delivering that message. He's been trying to do it in every place he has the opportunity, and it's not getting a lot of media coverage. So I just want like a big Biden major event addressing the nation as though he were the president right now. Well, it's not even the what you just said. We are not going to do this. It's not just the condemning of the violence. It's that posturing that this is we. People in Portland are Americans. The mayor of Portland is an American citizen. But the only strategy he has, the only emotional response he has is to divide us. You are the problem. You, we are patriots. You are the enemy. And that conflict, that division, instead of saying, hey, we all think racial justice is an issue and we might disagree how to solve it, but we are Americans and it is a shared problem. This driving us apart, the saying your fellow Americans are your enemies is how we get to this point. It's how we got here. It's incredibly dangerous. It was dangerous at the rallies in 2016, and it's even more dangerous now that he's president. And this idea that this is what, quote unquote, Joe Biden's America will look like, keep walking. I lived through eight years of the Obama presidency, and it wasn't your fellow Americans are your enemy. That's not what happened. This is Trump's America. This is what it looks like when you are leading the day, when you are setting the emotional tone, when you're bullying and violence and tweets and just meanness is what people are hearing. It is a call to action. And people are listening and they're following that call. I'm not going to lie to you. It is scary. It is scary, but it is not because the Democratic mayors are letting America fall apart. Take responsibility. You are the president. I'll be honest and admit to you that for most of my life, I would have read what's going on elsewhere and said, well, that's elsewhere. It couldn't be here. Mm -hmm. Scrolling my Facebook feed, I understand that it is here now. It might not be in the streets, but it is here. This ideology of you are with me or against me, it's us versus them. I have always believed that most Americans truly resided somewhere in the middle, that most of us, if we got around a table, would agree on more than we would disagree on. I think today, here in 2020, I am wrong about that. When I look at what people are posting and sharing and talking about, and I don't think, I've been trying to be really discerning about this, I don't think it is the loudmouths that I'm hearing that from. I am really disturbed by what I see on social media from a very broad swath of people from very different places in my life. And when I see this morning, I got so upset because the Wall Street Journal editorial board had this Mm -hmm. statement encouraging the president to condemn the violence, whether it's perpetrated by people who like him or not. And I get that a lot of people in conservative circles particularly have decided that their admission in life is to speak to the president through channels and in a voice that he can understand and relate to. And they believe that that is doing a public good. And I am sure that that is where this Wall Street Journal editorial is coming from. We believe we are doing a public good by encouraging the president to denounce violence. But they framed it so much in his packaging that my head Mm -hmm. almost exploded because they were talking about how Democrats and his media opponents are eager (sighs) to use this violence against him. Now, first of all, I need everybody to back up with the meta-analysis of who this violence helps and hurts politically. It breaks my heart that that's what we do now. That the first thing is not, oh my God, this is tragic. Oh my gosh, real people are getting hurt here. But, hmm, wonder how people will react to this in the pivot counties. But anyway, we need to stop that. And When the Wall Street Journal says, remember, you have all these enemies, 
It reads not just as a message to the president, but to regular voters. You have all these enemies. The Democrats are the enemies. The media is the enemy. Never mind that you're reading a newspaper. The media is the enemy. And we have got to stop that. If we don't like what's happening, if we truly want to denounce it, we have to stop talking about each other this way. And that is the president and the governors and the mayors and me and you and everybody else. We have to stop it. Because this road only leads to more of what we are seeing right now. The trajectory is clear. I read an article this weekend about how ministers, evangelical ministers, are seeing their congregations turn to QAnon because they're not in the pews. And so because everyone is home and they're away from other humans and they can follow their impulses through the rabbit hole of the Internet without a leader who they trust— in their ears pretty consistently saying, we are to be instruments of peace. We are to love our neighbors as ourselves. People are like leaving their congregations, accusing their ministers of being instruments of cabal, the enemy of the QAnon conspiracy. And it just broke my heart. And I thought, we are missing each other. Like we're not connecting. We're not remembering our greater selves. We're not hearing that call to be better. We're letting our, truly our animal instincts thrive. And I am worried. And I think it is imperative on all of us to do exactly what you're talking about, to say, I don't care who was killed or who did the shooting as far as their political leanings, because that was a life that was lost. And maybe their family is heartbroken and their family was attempting to pull them out of that political leaning, or whatever the case may be. You know, like, there are people who are heartbroken because that person is gone. And to remember that we are connected to one another seems so vital right now. I read that article, too, about QAnon targeting evangelicals. We'll put a link to it in the show notes. And another thing I took away from it, in addition to what you said, was that people don't want to hear their churches ask anything of them. Mm -hmm. Some of these people were really distanced from their churches because their ministers were talking about matters of race. And it seems to me that QAnon doesn't ask anything of people. When church does, when society does, when a political party does, when the culture does, when you're being asked in every space of your life— Reexamine things. Hey, maybe this actor or this movie wasn't what you once thought. We need to think about that. When school isn't there to fall back on and you're being asked for sacrifice, every time you go to Target in a tiny form, right, by wearing a mask and trying to stay away from people, I think that people are saturated with that ask. Let's, you know, be clear. The people who make up the white, suburban, People like me are saturated with sacrifice requests right now, and we've never been asked for it before, and we believe that we have. (laughs) And so we're in this really weird space of groundlessness, and I do think folks are grabbing on to the places that say, no, 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 you don't need to sacrifice anything because this is all a trick. And I don't know what to do about that except what you said which is to lean into each other more. And that, again, is a message to people like me because I, I would never ask someone who is being actively oppressed by a group to help fix that group. I am convicted by Catherine Pugh's piece on Medium that we've shared a couple of times that there is no such thing as a white ally, that this is racism is our mess to clean up and we need to do it. So I don't know how we move forward, except by connecting to each other more. And what I see happening is the opposite everywhere. A a really prominent um, Instagram influencer, writer, whatever language you want to use, posted a set of tweets that went viral and she shared it on Instagram too. And she talked about how like she's really ready to just cut people off because they are Trump supporters. And I read it several times because so much of what she said I thought was really important. And I also believe that she was setting a boundary that was important to her. And I am a big believer in boundary setting. 
And she was saying, like, I make a lot of free stuff for the Internet. And what I want to tell you today is that if you are going to vote for Donald Trump, I am not making it for you. Don't roll up in here and tell me that you're just here for the design stuff. This is Gabrielle Blair. I want to be sure to credit her on this because I I think there was so much good in what she shared. She said, I'm not making this stuff for you if you are going to vote for Donald Trump because I think you are making a fundamentally harmful decision. And I respected it so much. And then I also spent a lot of the weekend thinking like, how do I reconcile my understanding of the need, especially as a public person who's creating a lot of stuff for free for a lot of people and getting all of the input that comes with that? How do I reconcile my genuine respect for this with my genuine concern that if the people who follow Gabrielle Blair on Instagram take that page into their own lives, that it continues this horrible cycle that we seem to be stuck in of disconnecting from each other and hardening and widening the gap. We have gotten a lot of messages over the last few weeks basically saying, I thought you were bipartisan. I thought this was supposed to be both sides. We get pretty consistent reviews about that, but we got some really, I think, heartfelt, authentic messages on Instagram. And My answer is always no. We changed our opening. Beth changed her party identification. We were open and authentic about it. And there was a lot of, oh, well, I really want to hear both sides, which I can understand that instinct. But I was talking with a friend and along the lines of what Gabrielle Blair was saying, like, this is different. It's different now. This is Trump. And everybody from John Kasich to AOC on the other side. <laughs> so the idea that we can orient ourselves and there's this this equivalency is not true. But let me say this. You can love and set boundaries. You can be a peacemaker and call up in a moment that this moment is different and we can be uncomfortable and push people and share our values, and share our no-goes, and still love, and still be a peacemaker. I believe that. I believe that you can be in relationship with people and lay down those boundaries like Gabrielle Blair was. Now, the relationship between a content creator and her audience is very different between the relationship between family members And so how you love and create boundaries is going to look very different based on that relationship. But love and peacemaking and political accountability and values can all coexist. Now, sometimes they coexist inside very uncomfortable conversations. But that's okay. We can do it. We are called on to do it. And that's always true in human relationships. That's always true even between content creators and their audiences. Because we're bumping up against each other. And sometimes it's only through Instagram direct messages. Sometimes it's over a dinner table. But it is worth it. And it can be filled with love and accountability at the exact same time. That's what I find so heartbreaking about the QAnon church article. Because church is a good place for that uncomfortable bumping Mm -hmm. up accountability within a relationship of love. I think that's what I struggled with in Gabrielle Blair's thread, again, which I respected a lot, is that we don't have a lot of conversations about the different kinds of relationships that exist in our lives and what Mm -hmm. we expect of each other and how we do set healthy boundaries inside those relationships. And I think all of that is so critically important. And I will say about the are you bipartisan, which I look, I take that very personally because that's about me. Right. People expect Sarah to say the things that Sarah says on the show for the most part, although she is certainly you get Sarah, you know, you're not progressive enough or whatever. Sometimes what I want people who listen to the show to know is that I am a human being, not a brand. And if that Mm -hmm. calculus ever changes for me, I don't deserve to do this anymore. I love everything about getting to make this podcast and getting to have a book out there in the world that shares a lot of what I believe about these important conversations. 
and I would rather lose every bit of it than lie to you or make excuses for things that I find inexcusable. And I've addressed this in a lot of places in a lot of different ways, and I always try to be open-hearted about it. But sometimes when I address it, I will hear back from someone who is aggravated about where I am. Well, it sounds like you're just saying I should go somewhere else. And with love, I am. If what you want is to hear what the Wall Street Journal did this morning, which is kind of, we don't like Trump's packaging, but we like what's inside it, you're not going to hear that from me because I do not like what's inside it. I do not think that the Democrats and the media are so bad that what Trump is delivering to America is acceptable. And I do not believe that there is anything inside the packaging of Trump that is worth everything that we are living through right now. I don't believe that. And I'm never going to come up to this microphone and lie to you or even be unclear about that. And so that is where I stand. And again, I can say that with love and respect. I'm not mad at anybody about it. But like Gabrielle Blair, you know, I don't have the massive forum that she has, but I will say in as clear a voice as she did, like, I don't make this so that people can tell me what they want from me. I make it because I want to make a strong offer to the world and I hope something good comes of it. For a long time, this Last little moment before we take a break and head into our main segment was what we called compliment the other side. It was a very popular part of the show, obviously, because (laughs) we are both registered Democrats. The wording got weird. Not that there were never compliments to give out to people who we disagree with. Not that there might not be again. But it felt forced and it felt heavy. And so we've played around. We did suffrage moments last month and we might do that again. But we're just releasing ourselves to take a moment and share what's ever on our hearts, maybe even without a fancy name. (laughs) I do feel very convicted that as we get closer to the presidential election, things are going to get heavy and scary and intense, and that it is essential to do what I've talked about on the podcast before, what John Lewis talks about was a practice inside the civil rights movement, which is optimism, vision, looking into the future for what could be. And so I thought I would share this week a quote from Vanity Fair between an interview with Ava DuVernay and Angela Davis. And Ava DuVernay asked her, how does it feel for a woman born into segregation to see this moment? What lessons have you gleaned about struggle? And Angela Davis answered, that's a really big question. Perhaps I can answer it by saying that we have to have a kind of optimism. One way or another, I've been involved in movements from time from the time I was very, very young. And I can remember that my mother never failed to emphasize that as bad as things were in our segregated world, change was possible that the world would change. I learned how to live under those circumstances while also inhabiting an imagined world, recognizing that one day things would be different. I think that quote plays out so much as you observe all of the commemorations of Chadwick Boseman's life and how many kids and adults love Black Panther so much and have also been impacted by his portrayal of major civil rights icons And to know that this person who was creating such innovative and beautiful art was suffering so deeply and so quietly. I spent a lot of the weekend just watching videos about him and weeping in my kitchen, you know, that we've that we've lost this person who was so intense and so clear on who he was in the world. And I have such respect for that. So I love this practice. Can I add one thing that gives me a lot of hope right now on a very different note? I am so pumped about wastewater testing for COVID-19. I can't even handle it. I am so <laughs> deep in the sanitation world right now. I just want to read about everybody who's doing it. But you you may have seen in the news reference to Arizona State University identifying COVID-19 in wastewater and being able to really quickly respond to that. And I just love this because it's the kind of innovation that we need. It is something that is not In a way, it's very innovative and in a way it's not at all, right? We know how to do water testing. We've been doing water testing for a lot of reasons for a long time. 
It does not depend on every human being being on the same page about what this virus is. We don't need people to go stand in line for a test. We don't need people to voluntarily say, I might have symptoms or I've identified this contact myself. We can just test the water and act accordingly. And I think it is really exciting. And I'm, I was super excited to learn from one of our listeners, Valerie, that Kentucky is really scaling this up. It's happening in northern Kentucky, where I live, through Sanitation District 1. And I think it's awesome and exactly the kind of ingenuity that we need to be putting to work. And it gives me a lot of hope. Listen, serving on our joint sewer board was one of my most favorite jobs as a city commissioner. And I'm still close friends with the executive director of our joint sewer agency. I sent him that article immediately. (laughs) And, you know, the sewer is such a quiet hero. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. it's such a good example of what government does, the quiet impact of good government on our lives. Because let me tell you, if the sewer ain't working, things get real fast. And it's such a good reminder that, like, there are there are always innovative solutions. And often it's the part of the government that is, you know, running quietly and efficiently that can offer those innovations and can remind us that paying taxes and investing in infrastructure pays dividends in ways we don't always expect. We had people locally kind of throw a fit about rates going up around sanitation. And I said to Chad, what is wrong with everyone? This is the thing to pay for. If you don't want to pay for anything else, I promise you want this working. So thank you to everyone who is part of that business in general, that service in general, I should say. And thank you particularly to the people who are using it in such a specific public health oriented way. All right, we are going to move on and talk about the Senate races. You need to keep on your radar as Election Day gets closer. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsu Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less. No thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things. Big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash pantsuit. Looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life? Aura frames are beautiful, Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app. And if you're giving an Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. You guys, I love my Aura frames. I have one in my office. I have one in my kitchen. I have given one as a housewarming gift. I have given one as Mother's Day. Father's Day. They are the most amazing gifts because this app is a game changer, in my personal opinion. 
in digital frames. It makes it so, so easy to get the pictures on there and even videos. It plays like you're in Harry Potter, you guys. It is the best. I love mine so much. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A frames.com. Use code Pantsuit at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. Every election year, we have about one-third of the Senate up for re-election. The Class 2 is up in 2020. That's 33 senators plus special elections in Georgia. Y'all, Georgia is bananas. We're going to have to break it down because it's hecka confusing and complicated. Thank you so much for that, Georgia. And a special election in Arizona for a total of 35 senators currently up for re-election in the election of 2020. We'll have 12 seats currently held by Democrats, 23 seats currently held by Republicans. If Democrats want to have control of the Senate, they need to pick up three seats, assuming a Biden-Harris win, because remember, the Senate has 100 people in the event of a 50-50 split, the vice president casts the deciding vote. So if you had a vice president, Harris, You would need three additional Democrats in the Senate for control. You need four if you have Trump, Pence back in office. I think it's helpful, honestly, to just think about it as even if Biden and Harris win, you're going to need four seats because I think absolutely zero people think that Senator Doug Jones, who won because he was running against Roy Moore, is highly unlikely to win his reelection bid against Tommy Tuberville. So let's just assume unless Alabama is an outlier again, that the Democrats will need four seats to control the Senate if Biden and Harris win. One of the things I read as I was looking into the the analysis is breaking down ticket splitting. And Brookings Institute had a really great article that between the presidential race and the Senate elections, that ticket splitting, so let's say you vote for a Republican president and a Democratic senator, has really declined. 2016 was the first year since the 17th Amendment was ratified in 1913 in which every state with a Senate race elected a senator from the same party as the presidential candidate who won the state. So one of the best ways to look at who's vulnerable, who maybe where there might be a flip opportunity is to look at the likelihood of Trump or Biden winning in that state. How do you feel about that, Sarah? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't want it to be accurate. And I think had it been Bernie Sanders at the top of the Democratic ticket, it might have looked very differently. But I think for the most part, except for states like Montana, who really take the ticket splitting more seriously, it's like a part of their state identity, where I think you'll have Trump win the state, but most likely Steve Bullock, the current Democratic governor, win the Senate race. It's likely that you will see alignment between the presidential candidate and the Senate candidate as far as party. I just want to say, I think here in Kentucky, our ticket splitting has served us really well over the past couple of years. I think that Governor Bashir and our Republican Secretary of State, Michael Adams, having to really tango, <laughs> I, don't, I can't think of a better verb, over the way our elections are going to be conducted during the pandemic has created an unusually effective not only set of policies, but also communications around those policies. I think Kentucky has done such a good job telling people this is what's going on with our elections and this is why you should have confidence in it. And to have people with major stakes in that from both of the major parties is so beneficial. I can't even get over it as I'm watching it unfold. It's really healthy and good. And so I would love to see that become more a part of our state's identity, too. I, there's something valuable about having good faith governance from both parties. I mean, we say this all the time. I'm saying it like it's profound. It's not. There's something really valuable about good faith governance from both parties and them having to wrestle with each other. So I, I wish this were not so. Well, you know, depending on the year, it kind of breaks for one side or the other as far as who's going to have a tougher gig 
who has more vulnerable incumbents. This year, the Republican Party has more vulnerable incumbents. There's lots of safe Democratic seats. There's lots of safe Republican seats. Nobody's worried about Tom Cotton or Ben Sass winning their reelection campaigns. But when you get into the toss-up category and you start to look at more vulnerable incumbents, most of them are Republicans. You have Cory Gardner in Colorado. You have Susan Collins in Maine, and they're running in states that Biden is expected to win. Then you have Tom Tillis of North Carolina and Martha McSally of Arizona, who are running in swing states. Martha McSally looks particularly vulnerable. And then you have Joni Ernst of Iowa and Steve Daines of Montana, that they go for Trump. But like we said, Montana office splits its ticket more commonly than other states. And so you have a tougher map for Republicans as far as keeping the seats. So that's why you're hearing a lot of the fundraising prowess of Mark Kelly, former astronaut, husband of Gabrielle Giffords in Arizona, because McSally's seen as vulnerable. Sarah Gideon, who's running against Susan Collins in Maine, who people have really been targeting because of her vote for Supreme Court Justice Kavanaugh. So that's why you're hearing about those states, because they're vulnerable. People are paying attention to how much their opponents can fundraise, how likely they are to win. Even people like, you know, Lindsey Graham in South Carolina are looking more vulnerable than people would have ever assumed. It's really hard. I think it's important to go back to our overarching election premise that no one knows anything here because this year is so unusual because in some places people are already voting in these races. You know, the way that the elections themselves are being conducted is really strange because of COVID-19. What people care about day to day changes all the time. You could say, oh, this law and order as everyone is. And it's just wearing me out. There's this whole push right now of, oh, gosh, the the violence in Kenosha and Portland is really going to swing some of these voters back to the Republican Party. Well, maybe. But I don't know when those people are voting. They might already have voted. And who knows what's going to matter two weeks from now. So it's really hard to tell. I'm also just not sure how many people are still trying to make up their minds about anything. But it's hard to know what's going to happen. I think that a lot of these races are interesting. I think Iowa is fascinating. Joni Ernst seems to have a slight edge right now. But Iowa has four congressional districts. Three of those districts are represented by Democrats right now. How much is the House race going to influence the Senate race? How much is the presidential race going to influence either of those two? It's a really interesting puzzle in Iowa. And I think we often kind of have oversized importance in Iowa because of the caucuses being held there. But it also, to me, paints a picture that is where a lot of America is, that we voted for President Obama, we voted for President Trump, we've been represented by both Democrats and Republicans. What are we going to do next? I don't know. I don't know where they're going to end up, but I think it's a fascinating place to study. Okay. Are we ready to talk about Georgia? Maybe everybody should get a pen and paper. It might help you to sketch it out. So one of Georgia's races looks like most Senate races looks. We have David Perdue and John Ossoff running against each other for the seat. We had a question on Patreon about David Perdue that I think we should spend just a moment on which is that David Perdue was one of the senators who had some very beneficial stock activity happening before the concerns about coronavirus became publicized. There was an investigation. It is very hard, as we have discussed in detail on Patreon, to actually make a case against people under the Stock Act, the law that governs members of Congress and their investment activity. Senator Perdue has denied any wrongdoing. He said, do you think I actually touch my own portfolio? People outside make decisions for me independently. But what we have determined is that they will not engage in individual transactions going forward to avoid any appearance of impropriety. So if you're asking me point blank, do I think he improperly used information that he had as a U.S. senator to build his own wealth? No, I do not. Do I think he has paid too little attention to that aspect of his service and the transparency and ethics around it? Yes, I do. Okay, so we have just a regular old Senate race. But then to be extra confusing, their other senator, Senator Johnny Isaacson, 
resigned effective December last year. Okay, so he resigned December 31st, 2019. The Republican governor, Brian Kemp, appointed Kelly Loeffler to serve as his replacement. It was kind of controversial. She's a massive donor. She's very wealthy. She also had her own accusations of improper stock trading post-COVID-19. But she's the current senator. So we have to have a special election to fill Senator Isaacson's remaining term. And in Georgia, they have what they call jungle primaries, which I think are bananas. So basically, everybody goes on the ballot. And if no candidate, Democrat or Republican, receives more than 50% of the vote, the top two finishers will advance to a runoff election held on January 5th. And this is where it gets interesting. We have Raphael Warnock, who is the senior pastor at Ebenezer Baptist Church, running on the Democratic side. And then Doug Collins, everybody remember Doug Collins, challenging Senator Loeffler for this seat. So he's kind of the Trump-backed candidate. Then you have the establishment-based candidate, and they're most certainly going to hurt each other in this jungle primary. So who the heck knows what's going to happen? I don't even know how to characterize them, though, because... The RNC and the White House were super mad at Doug Collins for getting in this race. I mean, he is a huge Trump supporter, but they wanted Loeffler to just sail through this one. And to think of her, I mean, it's just, it's, this whole race is bizarre to me. It's totally bizarre. I mean, I guess in some crazy scenario, maybe somebody will get over 50%. I mean, maybe they'll hurt each other and the Democratic candidate, Reverend... Warnock will get over 50%. Who knows? It's 2020. Anything could happen. What other races are you paying close attention to, Beth? I am definitely watching Maine. I think that this could be the year that Senator Collins is retired by Maine voters. And that's another interesting data point because I really think that things started to change for her significantly because of her vote in favor of Justice Kavanaugh's confirmation which feels really silly to say so far away from it when I've just said, who knows what will matter in two weeks. But that really, at least sitting in Kentucky, observing Maine press and coverage of Maine, it really feels like people were surprised and unhappy about her position in those confirmation hearings. Do you think I'm reading that wrong? And if you are from Maine and see it otherwise, please email me and tell me about it. I mean, I just think it was the straw that broke the camel's back. She's constantly doing this, I'm independent, but then falling in line. And Maine is not particularly conservative. It's not not conservative, but I just think this idea that she built this independent brand, but it's usually just talk and never walk, is wearing thin on people. Rebecca Traster did an amazing article called Why Did Susan Collins Gamble Her Legacy on Trump that I highly recommend and we'll put in the show notes. And I just think it's reflective of she's been trying to do this dance. It's no longer connecting with the voters. Sarah Gideon is a really strong candidate. And so, yeah, I think that's definitely one I'm watching. And, you know, speaking of what it's like on the ground, people have a lot of fascination with our Senate race, where Amy McGrath is challenging Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. I'm actually trying to wrap up this recording today because she's in my hometown of Paducah, Kentucky, and I want to go to the rally. So, Beth, how does it feel that Amy's doing up in northern Kentucky. It feels good here in Paducah. She's making lots of visits. I see more yard sign than I've ever seen for a challenger for Mitch McConnell, although I've only witnessed one challenge, one of his re-election campaigns since I've moved home. But it seems positive right now. Well, we all have our bubbles, right? And in my bubble, which is mostly women who have school-aged children who are on fire about the inability to get those children back in school safely. I think Amy McGrath is our preferred candidate. (laughs) I think think Mm. she is largely our preferred candidate. I think that McConnell is working harder than he has worked in previous elections. I have never until this past weekend had a McConnell person come to our door. Really? They came to your door? They came to our door. Mm -hmm. (gasps) Oh! That's never happened to me before. And I live in a pretty highly trafficked neighborhood for political drop-bys. 
I've never yeah, had Yeah, it's such a good McConnell. walkable neighborhood. Yes. Our media market is saturated. I mean, if you're going to watch something like Survivor, just, you know, hypothetically, it is going to be McGrath, McConnell, McGrath, McConnell every commercial break. So ton of money being spent. You can see that she has the money to hang with him, which is also new. And I'm hopeful. I'm not uh, certain, but I am hopeful because I do think the longer COVID-19 wears on and the fact that he's on vacation right now, basically, oh, you know, gosh. I know that's not exactly the right framing, but I think her team is doing a good job of saying, like, he sent the Senate home. Yep. Do you look at an America that you think our Senate needs to be off duty right now? I think they're doing a, a good job of talking about that, and I hope that people can hear it and listen. I have no confidence that Joe Biden wins Kentucky. I wish that were not true, but I just think that I think that's off the table. But I would love for us to think about this election the way that we thought about our gubernatorial election and make the right call. So if we're looking at these seats and we're trying to get to four, and let's just say five in case Trump wins, we have Cory Gardner, who I believe will most likely lose. We have Susan Collins, who I also believe will most likely lose. I definitely think Martha McSally is going to lose. I think Steve Bullock will win. That's four. So that leaves, you know, Joni Ernst. Tom Tillis, if we're feeling really excited, two pickups in Georgia, even one pickup in Georgia. I don't know. I just feel like there are a lot of paths to either Democratic controlled Senate for Joe Biden or at least a stop on Trump's second term in the Senate. These are important races that I hope you'll continue to pay attention to. We'll continue to talk about them. They are hard races to run because they do feel so nationalized, but a senator's duties also so deeply impact the states they represent. I think you can see in Amy McGrath's campaign an attempt to talk about that, that this is both a local and a national service. I think MJ Heger talks about that a lot in her race against John Cornyn. So I know many of you are volunteering and donating um, and thinking deeply about these races. Please keep that up because who controls the Senate matters so much. If you live outside of Kentucky and are always giving us the side eye about Mitch McConnell, I get that because looking at his record, he has just stopped so much work being done in the House of Representatives from ever reaching the floor. And I hope that whether you agree with some of that legislation or not, you can think that's wrong. Senators should have to take those votes. They should have to go on record. Mm -hmm. That's how Congress is supposed to work. So Keep your eyes on the Senate, everybody. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online, and we were discussing the fact that I am 43, and she said, I cannot believe how young you look, and I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to 3rd Love, you can have both. 3rd Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, 
Whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered shower head purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code Pantsuit at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Beth, what's on your mind outside of politics? If you follow us on Instagram, you are acquainted with my daughter, Ellen, who is five because Ellen wants to be known and she will not (laughs) she will not suffer you not knowing who she is. And I just want to tell you about a little question I'm having about my own parenting around Ellen, because by day, Ellen is attending virtual kindergarten, which includes videos. And I'm going to I'm going to do a kindergarten teacher voice here out of love. I'm not making fun of anyone. I just want to paint the picture of the contrast here. So she'll turn on her little video and it will be like, good morning, boys and girls. Let's get out our journals and our crayons. We use our crayons differently than our pencils and our markers. So that's her day. In the evening and all weekend, all Ellen wants to do is listen to Hamilton songs and watch (laughs) Hamilton. And Ellen has a lot of zeal in her. And so she cannot just listen without singing along, dancing, and her whole body moves. And I do not have it in me to censor her. So there is a lot of profanity coming out of my five-year-old's mouth right now (laughs) in that sort of Broadway rap style. And I heard her in the shower the other night singing at the top of her lungs. And it was the Adams administration so I look over just in time to see her little face peeking out from behind the shower curtain going, sit down, John, you fat mother. <laughs> She's like so pleased with herself. <laughs> and I about fell out of my chair. And I just don't know. I'm a little bit worried that on one of these kindergarten calls, she's going to call someone a bastard. Like I can't, mm. I can't take this away from her because I know that if I were able to use my energy as Ellen does, I would work a lot of stuff out, you know, so I'm happy for her that she's emotionally healthy in this way. But there are days when I think, should I be reining this in more? Well, I'm firmly in the no camp. I am pretty conservative in a lot of my family life, shockingly. Cussing is not one of those areas. I call it adult words because I will not be censored by my children. I cuss in front of my children. For the most part, you know, they all tried on a little bit. In my experience, no matter how much you cuss or don't cuss, what they listen to or what they don't, they all try it on as soon as they figure out the words. As long as you shut it down and say, "Uh uh-uh, that's not appropriate. You're not allowed to say that word. It like, you know, it wears off. I just, cussing is not, I don't have it in me to make that an area I give a lot of attention to. And there's no doubt in my mind that the benefits of Hamilton far outweigh the risk as far as the curse words. That's what I think, too. We have such good discussions, such interesting conversations. She is clearly learning a lot about U.S. history, both from watching it and from the, the conversations that we have around it, the questions that she asks. And I saw with Jane a couple of years ago this intense anxiety around her friends who were swearing at school. 
that I felt like we needed to dial way back. I said to her, like, these words are kind of lazy. They're kind of rude in a lot of settings, but they don't have any power. You know, let's not talk about them as though something is going to happen if someone uses them, because it's not. So we care about our language that we use, but we're not afraid of these words. And so now they're just, you know, throwing them around like crazy. But what's going on with you outside of politics? Beth, remember two weeks ago, I told you my bathroom floor was broken. And do you remember one week ago when I told you my bathroom floor was fixed? I do. Mm-hmm. I've been taking careful notes about I the state of your floor. I literally walked out of my recording studio that day for my contractor to say, just kidding. It's broken. For real this time. We're going to rip it up and redo it. <laughs> I'm still feeling very zen about it. I just, I need us to decide and move on. I've been working very hard on my house. I have it the way I want it. I'm ready to settle into it and leave it alone for a while. So we're going to get this floor ripped out and redone. And then I should be done. I should not say that. I am invoking the universe upon me. But I think this is the final call. I do not anticipate. I, I definitely don't think I'm going to come back and be like, just JK, it's it's fixed anymore. Because I'm tired of hearing about it. I'm sure you're tired of hearing about it. I'm sure the entire internet is tired of hearing about it. I'm feeling some real malaise when it comes to this project. I'm ready for it to be over. But otherwise, I spent a lot of time this weekend finishing, like, I'm legitimately running out of honeydew projects. Like, hanging pictures. Oh, I need to patch that paint. Like, I was like a machine this weekend. I'm running out of things to do. I'm going to have to just, I don't know, be with my own thoughts or or do something purely for leisure and not DIY house productivity. But it felt good to knock all that stuff off the list. I told we had friends over for dinner and I said, I honestly think like deep cleaning and checking those things off my list is as good as like two solid months of therapy for me. I can feel every cell in my body like decompress when I can work through stuff like that. Because especially this, my space is always important to me, but it's particularly important to me now. But I'm I'm ready to release some of my brain that's been occupied by that and move on to some other creative pursuits. <laughs> well, I'm glad you're getting through your list in that way. I do not feel that. I feel, gosh, more squeezed for time than I ever have in a lot of ways because of schooling and all of the things. This, to me, is the hardest part of what we're living through right now, that we're still in this shared experience of COVID-19 but we're all having such unique ventures through it, you know, and the the pressures mm-hmm. are so different for everybody. There is pressure for everybody, but it's a unique form of pressure. And it just makes it harder than the, that, like, first week or two in March when everybody said, you know, cool, we'll make some bread and <laughs> hang out through <laughs> this. It's just really. Well, let me ask you this. Let's see if this is unique. Do you feel like things in your house are breaking and wearing out because you're using them so much more? Oh, for sure. Yes. Okay. For sure. I'm glad that is not unique. Like, our stuff is just, we're losing troops left and right. Hot water heaters, faucets, leaks. I'm like, and Nicholas was like, well, think about it. We're just using it constantly, whereas they used to get breaks. And I'm like, I guess that's a good point, but dang. Things are wearing out, and I'm just noticing wear and tear more than I ever would otherwise. Like a little nick here or a ding there. It feels like something is very wrong in the universe that it exists, and and I'm feeling that way about things that I'm certain I would not have noticed a year ago. Yeah, you're just noticing everything. Totally. Well, I have thought, though, I don't know when we get to trigger this moment, but I would like to have a moment where I... I think about the positives that have come from this. I feel like I want like some sort of graduation ceremony from quarantine, and I'm not really sure that's going (laughs) to happen. But I was thinking like, you know, we've had some real clarification about our work and travel. I've had some real clarification with my kids as far as how I was managing some of their behavior and things about my house, too. Like, I do want a moment where we can just look around. Should we put somebody like, should we tell Oprah she's in charge of telling us when that moment is where we can all go, okay, it's time to assess what we've learned from this. I don't know. I I would like to have many moments like that. I think we have a long haul coming before it's time for that. I'm really just personally preparing for a long fall and winter and for a Mm -hmm. holiday season that is unusual 
And I'm okay with that. I, I'm not going to fight with reality. It just is. And I'm going to be here with it. And I'm going to learn what I can from it. I do struggle with sort of here are the positives and always feeling, as we've talked about many times, that need to be like, it doesn't mean it's worth it. You know, <laughs> like it's, mm-hmm. it's still awful. There's still so much going on. There's nothing bad about learning lessons through hardships. So many lessons learned through all of this. Well, let me tell you just quick. Let me put this out to the universe before we wrap up. I'm not canceling Halloween, y'all. And the people who try are going to get angry letters from me. There are infinite ways to socially distance and have contactless candy. And we can all start brainstorming now because I will not cancel Halloween. I just want to put that on the record before we wrap up. Well, on that note, we hope that you all are having the best Tuesday you can have or whenever you're listening to this, we'll be back in your ears on the Nuanced Life on Wednesday and here again on Friday. Until then, keep it nuanced, y'all. Pantsy Politics is produced by Studio D Podcast Production. Elise Knapp is our managing director. Dante Lima is the composer and performer of our theme music. Our show is listener-supported. Special thanks to our executive producers, Tim Miller, Tiffany Hasler, Joshua Allen, David McWilliams, Allie Edwards, Martha Brunitsky, Amy Whited, Janice Elliott, Sarah Ralph, Barry Kaufman, Jeremy Sequoia, Lori Lodow, Emily Neasley, Allison Luzader, Tracy Putoff, Julie Haller, Jared Minson. To support Pantsuit Politics and receive lots of bonus features, visit patreon.com slash pantsuitpolitics. You can connect with us on our website, pantsuitpoliticsshow.com, sign up for our weekly emails, and follow us on Instagram.